Terrence Kutcher, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, Tamar Rice, Trayvon Martin, Oscar Grant, Eric Gardner, Philando Castillo, Samuel Dubose, Sandra Blant, Walter Scott, Torrance Kutcher, George Floyd. Welcome to another episode of Theo Social. I am your host, Elizabeth Escobar. Theo Social is a podcast space where theology meets sociology. The names I just listed are American citizens that tragically lost their lives um, at the hands of individuals that swore to protect and serve. Um, This week, man, if it wasn't enough to be in the middle of a health pandemic, quarantined, tackle on the deeply rooted American sin that is racism in our faces because of social media and not that it's faulted by social media. Thank God for social media because we have the ability to face our sin dead in the face. And there is just a new level of um I want to say speechlessness, but it's not that I'm without words. It's just, it's like when you see something dirtier than what you expected it to be. Like when, it's kind of like spring cleaning. You know, you go and you know, you already anticipate the day's going to be long because you're going to tackle an area of your home whether it's the garage or a closet or a space that you just haven't tended to in a long time, right? And then you realize, oh shoot, I'm I'm in this longer, which actually happened to me this week. I um I have a cabinet area in our living room and my husband just it drives him nuts that I pile things in there and so I really don't know why that morning I felt the need to just pull everything out. And I was so glad he has the ability to go um, work in his office now just because it's him. And anyhow, he was in here and thank God he was in here because if he would have seen the crazy mess that it was, he would have had a heart attack. But I think that's what ha- that's what's happening to America right now because we have nothing else to distract us but to pay attention to the mess the mess that racism has continued to um to leave behind um and you can't just turn the light off you can't just ignore turn around you gotta you gotta dig in there and you gotta pick out the things that are okay, this is trash and um 
we got to organize and it's, yeah, it's messy. It's embarrassing. It's, I mean, I had a, had a friend from church that she um, sent me a message by something that I had reposted about the individual who was a part of the murder this week for George Floyd. And um, she's talking about how she's just been crying all day seeing um, the news and just all the development with the story. And he's like, she said, I can't. And my response to her was, but it's necessary. We have to, because in order to raise up a generation after the heart of God, we need to face, face our sin, face the evil, um, look ourselves in the mirror to be able to pluck out the dirt, the impurities. Um, I had seen, um, gosh, not even too long ago. I mean, yeah, I just, yeah, it's, um, it's something that it's, it's super appalling and just like surreal to have to continue to keep talking about this. But I think in talking about this, it helps us to figure out a solution, a godly biblical solution. And that is a conversation that we need to continue to have, a dialogue that needs to continue to be brought up over and over and over. Um, I wanted to open up this episode with their names because I think back to when I was pregnant with both of my children and the process of coming, coming to deciding a name. Um, I know with my son, it was pretty simple. Like we kind of already feel like internally we knew the name. And with my daughter, it took a little longer. But once the name emerged and we set on that name, it um, they live out the significance of that name. My son is named Andres. Andres means mighty warrior, strong leader. And while his nature, he is very, um, uh, he's like a, uh, he has like a meekness to him, right? But I mean, <laughs> if I test him, like he, I mean, he's got some stubbornness and a perseverance about him and that is living up to his name, right? He's letting everyone around him know what the, what his name means. And my daughter as well. I mean, yeah, she's fierce. Don't mess with that little girl. I mean, her her third name, her name is Adeline Selena Nicole. Uh, Nicole means victory of the people of the people. And that in fact is what she is. She is just a ball of energy. And if I were to look up these names. And their name meanings. Talk to their moms. Talk to their family members. Hear their story. Of how they came to decide. The name of Brianna. Tamir. Oscar. Sandra. Walter. George. 
and the characteristics that came out based out of once they were born, how they lived up to their name, and how even in their no longer earthly existence, they continue to live out their name. It evokes something inside of us. I think it it brings a, a humanity side. And that is something that's important and vital to, to discuss and to bring to light because we racism is demonizing each other based off of our our exterior our appearance i mean nobody chooses what their skin looks like or what family you're born into ethnicity culture all of those things <sighs> And what's interesting to me, something that I would always go back to, I felt like I kept seeing it over and over and over in all of my classes when I was in Bible college, was that racism is not something that the United States of America invented. Racism goes back to literally, (laughs) you see it in scripture, and scripture is old y'all I mean we're talking years and years and centuries and so this is it's a generational and it's a, a sin it's part of the sin curse but as believers as people who know the light as people who relate with Christ on a daily basis we have to reflect his love That was his command to us, that we would be known by the way that we loved one another. And I have to say, I will be the first to admit, I have to love better. I I really have felt very convicted this year on just how well I've been loving, or how not well I've been loving uh, those closest to me. Family, close friends, family. loved ones, um, my children, my husband, brothers and sisters, my parents, um, and what that looks like. What does it mean to love? How do I demonstrate it? How am I not demonstrating it? What are my own prejudices, my judgments? And I think it begins there because if we um, fixate on the big picture stuff, which Don't get me wrong, this big picture stuff is really important as well, but it has to boil down to the everyday interactions because it builds up to the bigger points. Um, So going back to my point that I was making, so a few weeks back with the situation, the terrible tragedy with Breonna Taylor, it was Mother's Day weekend, and I just... I mean, I, it wasn't, it was like, I was trying to enjoy myself, but it was very difficult because we're in quarantine, but it was the most difficult because I just kept thinking back to her parents and, um, 
just thinking back to like, wow, what is, you know, like, what's her, how is her, how are they experiencing Mother's Day right now? Like, it just, you just can't, you can't look away or you can't think about something other than that, right? And I had seen a friend of mine, she had shared a, um, like this, uh, a cartoon image of, of, um, based out of, where is it? It's Luke 10. So it's the, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus, um, shares, uh, during his time of earthly ministry. And, um, it's an image of an African-American bleeding out on the floor. And it is an image of, um, a white, uh, male that is in a, a suit, a church suit, if you may, with a Bible in hand. And just, you can see in the image, like the rush that he has. And it was, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something to the effect of like modern day parable of a good Samaritan. And I just, I had never like, I mean, I think, yes, I had thought about it, but like, I felt like that was the best depiction of what it looks like today. And in rereading the story, this parable today, it, I, well, the things that came to mind. So, you know, there's three uh, characters that Jesus describes, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. And what's interesting is that, like I mentioned, racism isn't nothing new. The Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Um, you see, there's there was like major bigotry and prejudices amongst the Jews, amongst uh, Samaritans uh, during Jesus's uh, earthly ministry, and it was well known. Um, just how the the dis the disdain that they had for one another, it was very evident, and it was very um, outright. And how their treatment of one another. And so the very fact that this Samaritan was the individual who chose to um, demonstrate kindness, to demonstrate compassion to this man was huge. And for his listeners, for Jesus' listeners to hear this parable, they they understood. You better believe they understood. They got it like snap my fingers right now. Just like, whoa. I mean, I'm sure there could have been a pin drop. Because of just the the mere shock and silence in hearing Jesus' story and the depiction of compassion. Uh, I love the note here that it says on my Bible commentary. So it says, um, Samaritans and Jews practice open hostility. But Jesus asserted that love knows no national boundaries. So this was their national sin that they were experiencing. And it's no different than it is today. Um, but I read, I reread this parable. And what I love about the Bible is that it gives me hope when I don't physically see hope with my own physical eyes 
because if Jesus can spend three years with earthly ministry with 12 disciples who then in turn, once filled with the Holy Spirit, change the face of the earth with the gospel, the good news, which is what the gospel means, right? Um, I think of someone like the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, of early Christians. And then he is the very one who is turning around and professing such love and wow. I mean, that is, I, I guess today that's my prayer for every single individual whose heart is full of bitterness and hatred and bigotry and ridden with, um, that they were taught this racism, this way of racism, right? That they would have a Saul to Paul moment. That's my prayer right now. That they have that. Because at the end of the day, like, I, I can't fabricate it. I, I, I'm not, we're not mechanical. We are flesh and blood. And we are spirit. God breathed his life into us and brought us into this earth with a purpose. And that purpose is not lived out through hatred. And so may God have mercy, and not just mercy, but bring these individuals to their knees to acknowledge their sinful, sinful ways. That there be true repentance. And I, I want to pr- repent of my sins, of maybe silence, of um, just being a bystander, of just being, just um, maybe not not doing more. You know, my husband and I have been talking about what we can do. Um, we may not. I may not be a lawyer. I may not be a public activist, or you know, I may not have all of those. Um, I don't know major political or major platforms, but I have this platform of raising two next world changers. And I have to do everything in my power to ensure that their hearts, their minds are full of love. And not just any love, but the love of Christ in their hearts. And that they're able to reflect it out That when somebody else looks at them with disdain, that they exhibit the compassion and kindness that the Good Samaritan provided to this individual in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So while I feel hope, I also still feel a little bit of hopelessness as well. I think just because there's been such, it's been so much of this pattern, like just thinking back, like I feel like my entire adult life has been a completely different experience than my upbringing. 
And I don't want this to like become about me, but like I I told my husband uh, right before recording this episode that the experiences that I have had, the interactions that I have had about being pointed out as a Latina in the spaces that I've been in, whether it was at college, in the workspace, um, in our neighborhood, it, um, it never was like that when I was growing up, but it was because when I was growing up, all I was ever around was Latinos, <laughs> Hispanics. Like my entire church was just Latinos, Spanish speakers. Our neighborhoods were predominantly Hispanic. So I didn't know any different. I just thought like, okay, well, this is who we are. And, you know, a lot of my, gosh, my teachers, um, it didn't, um, yeah, it was, I was, I was full of my culture, if you may, right? Even though for the most part, everyone around me was Mexican or Central American and my background, my grandparents from my mom's side are Colombian. My dad's are, um, Puerto Rican. So there really isn't too many Puerto Ricans or Colombians in SoCal, but, um, even still there's like a kinship when it comes to, uh, Latinos, um, Latin American background. Right. And so if my experience of being singled out in the classroom setting or, with classmates, in the workplace, in playgrounds, um, with my children. You know, like I mentioned with my husband, that when I say my son's name, so we named him Andres. In his birth certificate, it says Andres. It doesn't say Andrew. It says Andres. Um, and as I'm speaking to them in Spanish because we speak primarily Spanish to our children, because we're trying to make sure that our kids remain bilingual, that they have two languages, not just one, because that's some an important family value that we have. We were both raised bilingual. Um, there's spaces where it feels there's more eyes on us, or more looks, judgmental looks. Um, and that's one of just many examples, which, like I said, I'm not going to try to turn this into a session about me, but I just really wanted to take the time to number one, acknowledge the lives of these individuals and let their family know, even though I may never meet them in person, but I want their family members to know that their life was not in vain. It was meaningful. And while I never got to meet George, Torrance, Walter, Sandra, Samuel, Philando, Eric, Oscar, Trevon, Tamir, Ahmad, Brianna, Terrence, and the many, many more names. Their lives matter. Black lives matter. And 
I'm going to do everything in my power as a Christ follower, as someone who stands on the truth of God's word, as a wife, as a mother, to make this world a better place, a better tomorrow, so that when my children grow and it is their time that they stand on principle of righteousness, of revival. Because it's interesting too. I mean, we'll definitely have to continue this conversation. But even when, you know, the early church was starting, they experienced, oh man, levels of racism that was through the roof. I mean, imagine all the individuals that were attracted to this brand new religion called Christianity. People that were rejected, that were the outcasts, the those on the shadows, on the outskirts of society, those that were not wanted, slaves, prostitutes, tax collectors. I mean, these things don't seem like big deal to us today, but who isn't wanted today? Who's on the outskirts today? Just change the name from tax collector to African-American, Mexican, you know, prisoner, felon, whatever you may. And that's, and that's who Jesus, not only them came for, but he came to let others know that love knows no boundaries. National, international, homes, workplaces, playgrounds, classroom. So while I'm sitting in the shock and the extreme distress and I think like a mourning because there needs to be space for sadness and grief and lament. And I love that about scripture that, um, I mean, the Old Testament is full, full of examples of just mourning before God and just, um, and it having a time of lament as a, um, as a, as an offering of worship to God. Like it is a, a pleasing worship and he receives it because he as well is mourning the loss of his creation, you know, who too soon went up to be with him and the fighting that he did not create us for. So may we turn back to him, turn back to the cross, nail our sin. And that would be my challenge to you today. As I'm challenging myself, I have to go around in my life with the people in my circle, make an inventory of who I need to love better, how I need to love better, be, um, be present, and, and then be able to respond to these bigger bigger realities because there's an accountability here 
right? It's twofold. I have to do it first in my circle, and then I can, you know, like I can do it dually for sure, but I can't do one or the other. You know, I can't focus on the big and then not the internal. Like there has to be the internal work, and it'll pour out as well. So, I will leave everyone with a little piece of scripture. It is Psalm. It's actually one of my favorite Psalms that you hear me rustling through. So Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though my heart, excuse me, though my, Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life.